0: Welcome to another episode of You Must Remember This, the podcast dedicated to exploring the secret and or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century, part of the Panoply Network. I'm your host, Karina Longworth. Up to this point, most of our stories have been centered in the middle of that century, more or less within the constraints of the golden age of the studio era, the heyday of what some people refer to as classical Hollywood cinema. This episode is different. In this episode, Those halcyon mid-century days are the past that hangs over the life of our heroine, a modern woman whose timeless beauty and old Hollywood pedigree sometimes inspire a temptation to turn her into a character outside of time. Famous first for being the daughter of Ingrid Bergman and Roberto Rossellini, and then as a muse to not one but two of the great American end-of-the-millennium auteurs, in the years buttressing her 40th birthday, she found herself at a crossroads suddenly single, and then fired from the job that had allowed her to support herself and define herself, independently of the men in her life, for 14 years. This is the story of how she got to that crossroads, and what she did next. Join us, won't you, as we wish a very happy 62nd birthday to Isabella Rossellini. It started with a call in the middle of the night. It's fall 1990 and Isabella Rossellini is alone in a hotel room in Russia. She's there to shoot a movie, an Italian marriage farce in which she plays a widow pursued by three suitors, under pressure from the Italian government to keep her fortune in the country. She's 38. And though she's only been acting in earnest for about five years, she's internationally famous, her face much more recognizable than that of the average 30-something spawn of a mid-century movie star and legendary independent filmmaker, thanks to her long-held position as spokesmodel for Lancome. It was modeling, which she had only been doing for about 10 years, that had allowed her to travel the world. She was used to living in hotel rooms, in strange cities, usually alone sometimes with makeup artists and stylists and photographers to keep her company. But something, this time, on this trip, was different. Russia frightened her. She felt like something terrible was going to happen. And then, the phone rang. Isabella, it's David. She was used to taking calls from David, her boyfriend and partner of six years, at all hours. With her constantly on the road, a lot of their relationship took place over the phone. But this call wasn't like other calls. David Lynch was calling Isabella Rossellini at her hotel room in Russia in the middle of the night to tell her that their relationship was over. Okay, bye-bye. Isabella was devastated. Though David had barely acknowledged her as his girlfriend, she had felt that they were soulmates. They had met when Lynch was looking for an actress to play Dorothy Valens, the abused nightclub singer in his film, Blue Velvet. Initially, David wasn't even interested in Isabella for the role. He wanted Helen Mirren, and he knew that Rossellini had just starred alongside her in White Nights, and he was hoping Isabella could introduce him. Working with Lynch, Isabella said, was like taking a leap into the void.
1: This episode is brought to you by Mubi, the curated streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema from around the globe. Every film on Mubi is hand-selected by real people who really love movies, so you get films from iconic directors, from emerging auteurs. There's always something new to discover. And coming up in May, here's something to discover. Gasoline Rainbow, the latest film from the Ross Brothers. They are the acclaimed directors behind another great film you might have seen called Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. Gasoline rainbows about five teens from inland Oregon who pile into a van with a busted taillight to get to a place they've never seen, the Pacific Coast. New York Magazine called it, quote, an ecstatic road trip movie, and that just about sums it up. Gasoline Rainbow opens in U.S. theaters May 10th, and then you can stream it exclusively on Mubi starting May 31st. Best of all, right now, you can try Mubi free for 30 days at movie.com slash YMRT. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash YMRT for a whole month of great cinema for free. Take the ride.
0: She understood her character in Blue Velvet maybe too well. Here she is talking about the film with Terry Gross on Fresh Air in 1997.
2: Isabella Rossellini, did you understand why this character asks to be hit? Yes, I do, because I once was beaten, and uh, and when and, and I remembered when I played that part, and I had to say that line, beat me, beat me. I say, why would this woman want to be beat? And then I remember that the time that it happened to me that I was beaten, the first blow to my head, and you just see little stars, exactly like Donald Duck. And there was a sense of bewilderment, and you don't know where you are. But I wasn't panicked. I wasn't anything. It was, I just was bewildered, a strange feeling. And I thought that this woman, who had so many torments in her mind, became the victim of the abuse that she uh because they she was raped and beaten by the character of dennis hopper so that when she did get the first blow the first punch um she would see the star and her tormented thoughts could stop and that's why she asked to be beaten oh what an interesting way of looking at it who who beat you I I don't want to give the details of all that. I don't want to start, you know, being uh, like oh, poor me, poor me. It happened, but I'm fine now. Fine. Okay. Okay. Released in
0: 1986, Blue Velvet became a sensation. Its depictions of sex and violence in small town America inspired hand wringing, but its artistry couldn't be ignored. Lynch was nominated for an Oscar, and Rossellini won the Independent Spirit Award for Best Actress. Dorothy Valens would become her signature role. In 1990, at a memorial service for Irene Selznick, who had been Isabella's mother's best friend, she found herself in an elevator with Katherine Hepburn, whom she hadn't met before. "'Are you Ingrid's daughter?' Kate asked. "'The one who made that movie?' Katherine Hepburn didn't have to say the title. That Blue Velvet was that movie was understood. Isabella wore her association with that movie and that man who made that movie as a badge of honor. Maybe she was too deeply attached to her identity as David Lynch's muse to see the breakup coming. As far as Isabella knew, she and David had been building a partnership, personal and professional. They had just been to Cannes, where their movie Wilded Heart had won the Palme d'Or, She only had a small part in it, but she was proud of her work. She felt that she had disappeared into a character who she had chosen to style after Frida Kahlo, unibrow and all. In using styling as the key to the character, she felt she was applying what she had learned as a model to film acting, and that fusion of the two worlds excited her. This had seemed like the beginning of something, and she couldn't accept that it was, in fact, the end. She tried desperately to find a silver lining to the breakup, The only thing that she could think of was that her ex-husband, Martin, would be pleased. She picked up the phone and tracked Martin down in Venice, where his movie Goodfellas was premiering. Martin, David left me, she said. I knew it, he responded. How did you know? Isabella asked. It was the furthest thing from my mind. Martin explained that he had known it was coming four months earlier, when he saw TV footage of Isabella and David on the red carpet at the Cannes Film Festival. Lynch had kissed her. On the lips. In front of the press. For six years they've been together and they've never been publicly affectionate. In Martin Scorsese's mind, if David Lynch was kissing her in public, that meant he had something to hide. Isabella was amazed at her ex-husband's ability to read that image for its hidden truth. She had thought that kiss had meant that David was finally ready to fully commit to their relationship. It took one great director to make her understand how badly she had misinterpreted the behavior of another. Martin hadn't always been able to apply that same kind of perspective when they had been together. They had met in 1977, when she was 25 and working as an interviewer for an Italian TV show. She came to the set of the Miss musical New York, New York to interview Scorsese, who at the time was married to Julia Cameron, who he had met when Cameron had came to the set of Taxi Driver to interview him for Rolling Stone. Scorsese was also, at the time, having an affair with Liza Minnelli, who, like Isabella, was the daughter of a great ethnically Italian filmmaker. By 1979, Isabella and Martin were married. This roundelay was nothing compared to the passionate scandal into which Isabella had been born. In 1950, her mother, Ingrid Bergman, became Hollywood's most infamous adulteress, having fallen in love with Isabella's father on the set of Stromboli, and given birth to Roberto Rossellini's child while still technically married to her first husband, Peter Lindstrom. It's incredible to think about how radically Ingrid Bergman's world changed, and how quickly. Her career had been shaped by big-shot mentors like David O. Selznick, Alfred Hitchcock, and George Cukor. She had been hand-picked by Ernest Hemingway to star in For Whom the Bell Tolls. When she wrote to radical neorealist filmmaker Roberto Rossellini and asked to work with him, she knew she was making an unusual choice for a Hollywood star of her stature. But she couldn't have foreseen the repercussions. In 1948, Ingrid Bergman was nominated for an Oscar for playing Joan of Arc. Two years later, she was denounced on the floor of Congress as, quote, a horrible example of womanhood and a powerful influence for evil. Her personal life and the low moral standard the scandal indicated was used as an example as to why there should be a law mandating that Hollywood actors be given background checks before they could be hired to star in movies. Needless to say, that bill didn't pass. Isabella was asked about her parents' scandal in 1997, at a time when the American media was dominated by various sex scandals, a couple of them involving President Bill Clinton.
2: Well, well, you're still doing it in America. It's pretty scandalous to me that uh, people are persecuted, politicians, military people are persecuted on the basis that my mother was persecuted 50 years ago. And often in interviews, people say it's inconceivable nowadays to think uh, what has happened to my mother. It's happening every day. People's life are ruined because uh, they fell in love uh, with someone else when they were married or they had a, an affair um, years before, you know, all human mistakes. Can, everybody could make.
0: Bergman and Rossellini eventually made their relationship official and made a total of six films together. But by 1956, when Isabella was four, they had separated. Isabella, who spent much of her childhood living in an apartment with her siblings and a nanny, taking visits from one parent at a time, grew up understanding that she had been the product of an intense an intensely watched romantic and creative passion. A passion that couldn't survive when matched to domesticity. Isabella and Martin went together for four years while he was making Raging Bull and The King of Comedy. But they never worked together. The old-school Italian Catholic part of Scorsese would have preferred that his beautiful new wife not work at all. While they were together, she stumbled into modeling virtually by accident. So
2: I became a model at 28. Uh, and, And then they said, you know... Then it was a big thing in the article, she's so old, she's so old. But nobody asked how old I was, so I, it's not that I hidden it or anything. I didn't even know that model had to be 14, you know.
0: <laughs> As a preteen, an age when a lot of future supermodels are getting their careers started, Rosalini spent six months confined to bed and two years in a body cast after an operation to transfer a bone from her leg to her back to correct debilitating scoliosis. Modeling didn't even occur to her until 1980 when a friend introduced her to photographer Bruce Weber, and he started taking pictures of her.
2: And I thought, oh, that'd be fun, so I can maybe buy the issue of that magazine, all done up, and save it, show it to my grandchildren, and I'd be an old bag and say, look, I I looked pretty, I was (laughs) photographed once. But then from Bruce photo, I I really literally had an overnight success, and within a month, I was in Richard Avedon's studio working basically every day, having covers, and my life completely changed, and I became a model
0: um, and learned to love it. Seven years later, there was an exhibit at a Paris museum dedicated to photographs of her face. Before she signed a contract with Lancôme in 1980 that stipulated that she had to wear makeup in public, she never did. For taking the trouble, she became the highest paid model in the world. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service— the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious, but with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So, do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Back by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com/remember. 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 At first, the money was nothing but a source of anxiety. $15,000 for a couple minutes walking down a runway? She was constantly sure she had misheard the figures. As an adult, after both of her parents had passed away, Isabella would often conduct conversations in her head with one or the other, the late Ingrid and Roberto making their presence felt as something between a ghost and an imaginary friend. When it was her job to interview famous people, Isabella was plagued by her imaginings of her mother's disapproval. When she started modeling, it was her father's voice that boomed in her head, warning her against fetishizing style, the very concept of which he had despised. At first, Isabella herself had thought style was a dirty word. But through modeling, she came to understand how style could have substance, and traveling the world for Lancôme, she was at the center of situations in which the business of beauty was having a real impact on people's lives. In one Asian country, Isabella had been brought to an airport duty-free shop to meet 200 girls who had been recruited from the countryside and taught the conventions of Western hospitality so that they could sell makeup to international travelers. Isabella herself was these girls' final exam. Each girl had to shake her hand and look into her eyes to prove they were capable of shrugging off the cultural traditions in which they were raised in which such assertiveness would be considered to be dangerously defiant. It was situations like this that made Isabella think that modeling was doing more than promoting a fantasy of basically unattainable beauty. To these girls, she was symbolizing the freedom to work, to earn their own money. Maybe an airport duty-free salary wouldn't turn rural peasants into fully empowered independent women, but it was something. modeling had made Isabella independently wealthy, and this was another thing she imagined her father taking issue with. Not just the accumulation of wealth, but also the feeling of power that she associated with it. She couldn't deny that as her personal bank account swelled, so did her confidence. For the first time in her life, she felt fully independent. her father lurked in her brain, ready to deliver what he thought was a reality check. Please, he'd say. This is ridiculous. Earning money isn't the measure of your independence. But Isabella's mother, well, the hallucinated ghost of her mother, understood something that her father, well, the hallucinated ghost of her father, didn't understand. For women, the fantasized Bergman told her daughter, Earning your own money means deciding how you're going to live. Not everyone has to do it, especially if you're beautiful. You can find a man to take care of you. But if you can take care of yourself, then you can take care of yourself. Maybe it was that implied independence that made Martin so uncomfortable with having his wife's face on the cover of magazines. Although he didn't phrase it that way. In 1982, when Isabella was first on the cover of Vogue, Her then-husband refused to leave the house all month. He so dreaded seeing other people looking at a photograph of his wife's face with lust in their eyes. Not that modeling gave her total freedom. Isabella's contract with Lancome included several key restrictions, including a morals clause, which Isabella immediately tested by becoming pregnant by Calvin Klein model Jonathan Weidman while still married to Martin Scorsese she wasn't exactly following in her mother's footsteps. She didn't actually cheat on Scorsese. They had been separated for a while, but he had begged her not to divorce him. He had already been divorced twice. Kind of a problem for a Catholic. And more than that, he wanted to be protected from marrying again. The situation was less like the one Isabella's mother had found herself in in real life, and more like the one she had encountered in the movie Indiscreet, in which her character falls in love with a man played by Cary Grant, who pretends to be a married man having affairs, so that he has an ironclad excuse for not settling down. I was down on my knees asking his forgiveness because I asked him to marry me. On my knees! How dare he make love to me and not be a married man! Isabella had been happy enough to grant her estranged husband's wish, but Lancome was not about to let the international face of their brand give birth to an illegitimate kid. So she divorced Scorsese, married Jonathan Weidman, gave birth to her daughter, Elettra, and after a couple of years, broke up with Weidman and hooked up with Lynch. But the time that that relationship was over... Isabella was a suddenly single mom pushing 40, and it was the financial independence afforded by her modeling which made it possible for her to support herself and her young daughter in the absence of a father figure. She could take care of herself, which meant she could take care of herself. Cut to 1992, the year Isabella Rossellini turns 40. Her seemingly eternal youth and beauty is captured in two venues. When Madonna called and asked if she would appear in her book, Sex?, Isabella laid down a couple of ground rules. She wasn't going to get naked, and she wasn't going to French kiss the material girl. Okay, Madonna said, and with Stephen Mizell taking the pictures, the two women cavorted around Miami dressed as men. The moral police at Lancôme fretted that Isabella looked like a lesbian. Isabella fired back. What's the matter with being a lesbian? Maybe the greater testament to Isabella Rossellini's potency as a beauty icon around this time came with Death Becomes Her, the Robert Zemeckis film in which she co-starred with Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn as Liesel, an exotic mystery woman who peddles eternal youth through death to the insecure housewives of Beverly Hills. The movie brilliantly parodies the culture industry's obsession with youth at any cost.
2: This is life's ultimate cruelty. It offers us the taste of youth and vitality, and then makes us witness our own decay.
1: Well, it is the natural law.
2: No, well, screw the natural law! How old would you guess I am? Come on, don't try to flatter me. 38. Oh, 28. 3?
1: 23.
2: I am 71 years old. That's what it does. It stops the aging process dead in its tracks and forces it into retreat. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Don't drink it, and continue to watch yourself
0: rot. How much is it? On screen and off, the natural law hadn't apparently caught up with her. She still had plenty of mileage as an exemplar of feminine ideals. It would be another four years before she'd guest star as herself on an episode of Friends, in which David Schwimmer's Ross adds and then drops Isabella to his list of celebrities to which Rachel would have to give him a free pass, were he ever to have a chance to sleep with them.
1: Hi, I'm Ross. Um, you don't know me, but I'm I'm a big, big fan of yours. I, I mean, um, uh, Blue Velvet. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I do with that girl over there.
1: Well, yeah, kind of. Um, but that's okay. See, we have an understanding. Um, see, we each have this list of uh, five famous people and you were one of mine. So I'm allowed to sleep with you. <laughs> no, 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 it's flattering. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I no, don't wh- know. No, wh- wait, wait, <laughs> Isabella. <laughs> don't, don't just dismiss this so fast. I mean, this is a once in a lifetime
0: opportunity. Yeah, for you. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I frequently have this experience in therapy where I tell my analyst something that is happening or happened with someone else, and they ask me how I feel about it, and then they ask me if I have told the person in question how I feel, and a lot of the time my answer is nope, because just telling the analyst is kind of enough. We all carry around different stressors, big and small, When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Everyone needs a sounding board. Just talking to a therapist about what's going on can make you feel better. Other times, a therapist can offer strategies or new ways to frame the difficulty you're having. Maybe you'll leave your session with action items that you can work on, Or maybe just talking it through will give you the perspective you need to make changes. But therapy is a good first step to figuring that out. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash YMRT today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash YMRT. Let's say, hypothetically... That you were a teenage girl in the 1990s. Blue Velvet might have been one of the first real art films that made an impact on you. As a budding but hardly sophisticated connoisseur of fashion photography, Your bedroom walls might have displayed a few images of Isabella taken by Richard Avedon and Stephen Mizell, which you ripped out of magazines. You might have taken note of her in Death Becomes Her as a kind of self-aware avatar for the kind of physical perfection that could only be supernatural. You definitely would have seen her on Friends, where she showed up dressed like a really classy art history teacher and was clearly a full-grown woman in a way that none of the actresses on that show seemed to be. But she didn't seem old. Her maturity was coded as an integral part of her desirability. From all of this, if you were a teenage girl whose already shaky handle on how to feel about style and self image had been further discombobulated by the cultural tug of war between supermodel hyperreality and heroin chic, then you might get the sense that Isabella Rossellini was a time traveler, the last of the old world international beauties projected a type of glamour that was somehow both idiosyncratic and classic. She was maybe the only icon of 90s pop culture who gave off the sense that she could have been alive in any time. And that projection would feel real. It was real, insofar as it was readily perceptible in the culture, but it obscured what was actually going on behind the scenes. In fact, Isabella Rossellini actually spent most of the 1990s Fighting off enforced expiration. In 1992, Lancome informed Isabella Rossellini of their intention to drop her contract. At age 40, no matter how good she looked, they felt she was too old to serve as the blank screen on which makeup buyers could project their fantasies. Isabella refused to accept this. And she fought with Lancome for a full two years to try to convince them that a quote-unquote older woman could still sell makeup. She spoke about that fight at length years after it was all over.
2: You were um, you were how old when you lost the
0: contract with Lancome?
2: Forty-two, and it was because of your age. Yes, it was because of my age. I mean, um, I have you know, it was a very long debate. You know, it isn't. It didn't happen all of a sudden. There is. You know, and I feel bad that Lancôme is days the one that has been accused of having uh, not kept me, even if we had an enormously successful campaign. But the truth of the matter is that, he, that any fashion magazine or any film, any woman that he's represented as beautiful, appealing, it's between 16 and 32. Um, so Lancome actually did keep me until I was 42. And there was an enormous debate within the company whether to keep me or not until they just succumbed to the tradition and they... Um, in spite of my protesting <laughs> but it's their freedom and I guess freedom is more uh, to be respected so I do respect their choices I do still think that we lost an opportunity to break a prejudice because I do believe that uh, um, it is a prejudice not to use older women to represent elegance point is that uh, when you do a a campaign, you represent the dream in people, you do not represent the reality in people, Mm -hmm. and they believe that the dream of women is to stay young, so they take the symbol of youth, they take somebody who's not terribly young because then you will feel terribly alienated. It's very interesting, you see, the people that do the cosmetic campaign, the big cosmetic campaign, are generally on their late twenties or early thirties, they're generally brunettes instead of blondes because brunettes are more accessible and people can identify but still they have to be young enough to represent a sort of a dream and what you wish to be. I, my point with Lancôme is that the new generation of women, the biggest dream isn't to stay young, is to be independent, to be free, to be powerful, to do what you like to do, to assert yourself. Um, but they considered that too avant-garde. It's not that they didn't recognize it. They said, yes, but, I, but this, we still think it's a minority of women that has those values, and that the biggest group of women dream to stay young. That's why plastic surgeons are so successful, I guess. So they had a valid point. And they are there to sell cream, not to uh, do a social battle.
0: But what if you could sell cream and fight a social battle? After Lancome dropped her, Isabella Rossellini was determined to prove that things could be done differently. With all of its restrictions on her off-camera life, Isabella had likened her Lancome contract to the indentured servitude of 1940s Hollywood, but she borrowed new Hollywood conventions for her next venture, setting up what she called a development deal for a new line of cosmetics with Cody. She wouldn't just be the face of this brand, she'd be the brain behind it. As she is developing the cosmetics line, the dialogue between Isabella and her dead father became combative. Roberto Rossellini, the staunchly independent neo who died with $200 in his bank account, accused his daughter of following the money. No, you're wrong, she told him. She wasn't following the money. She didn't care about the money. She cared about revenge. She was letting herself be led by anger. She had been fired for being too old. And not because she was actually too old, but because all of the power was held by men who held on to old ideals. The new company was her way of fighting that establishment and its ideas. She started presenting herself as an executive, arriving for interviews and photo shoots wearing men's suits, toting a briefcase. This sold the notion that the new Isabella Rossellini was all business. It also, in its own small way, expanded the notion of what could be considered glamorous. In 1999, Manifesto by Isabella Rossellini hit department store shelves. The line was designed with practicality in mind. Foundation came in portable, single-serve capsules instead of glass bottles. Lipstick tubes had little mirrors on the caps so ladies wouldn't have to squint into a butter knife if they needed a post-lunch touch-up, years ahead of the real-girl trend. The marketing for Manifesto featured a much wider than usual range of women, including a 14-year-old girl with braces and a silver-haired 67-year-old. The perfume was deliberately unisex. The Manifesto behind Manifesto was, as Isabella put it, a secret feminist plot to put women in charge of the creation and promotion of products for women. Sounds simple enough. But it didn't work. She was maybe too ahead of her time. This so called secret feminist plot didn't fly because, as Isabella put it in 2006, she couldn't force a feminist model onto anybody else. So that's pretty much it. That's how Isabella Rossellini spent the 90s. Maybe you're wondering why I'm telling you this story. It doesn't end with triumph or tragedy, its subject is still around and still working collaborating with art filmmakers like Guy Madden and directing her own films. She's not the potent cultural force she was during the last decade of last century, but that happens, especially to women, especially to women who are professionally good-looking. And I guess that's why I'm telling you this story. Isabella Rossellini's biography could have ended with Daughter of Famous People. It could have ended with Wife and or Muse to Martin Scorsese and David Lynch, It could have ended with the highest-paid model in the world. And that aspect of her identity could have ended a lot earlier than it did. But when all of those descriptors were no longer applicable, she didn't disappear. She instead attempted to subvert the industry that had branded her as a has-been by competing within that industry. Yeah, it didn't work, but what was the alternative? Hollywood and Indiewood spent most of the 1990s failing to do much other than domesticate her as a nagging wife, see, fearless, or exoticize her as the gorgeous other, see, pretty much everything else. Death Becomes Her is incredible, but it's not blue velvet. As an actress or a model, your legacy is so much at the mercy of opportunity and of how other people choose to represent you. By any definition, Isabella Rosalini has lived a remarkable life. But maybe the most remarkable thing is that she refused to let herself be defined by business as usual. If the dream of the modern woman is, as she put it, The biggest dream isn't to stay young, is to be independent, to be free, to be powerful,
2: to do what you like to do, to assert yourself.
0: Then she's lived that dream. And for that reason, on her 62nd birthday, we salute her. Thanks for listening to You Must Remember This. Today's episode was written, narrated, and edited by Karina Longworth. That's me. You can find more information about this episode and other episodes at our website, YouMustRememberThisPodcast.com. We'll be back next week with another story from the secret and/or forgotten histories of Hollywood's first century. Good night. Saturn was the light from the stars